Hello, and welcome to this episode of Vogue Business's Beauty Radar, a no-nonsense podcast unpacking the hottest beauty topics today, presented by City Commercial Bank. I'm your host, Katie Kittrakorn, and today we'll discuss where clean beauty is headed next. Five or ten years ago, the idea of having a clean, vegan, or cruelty-free beauty product was more unique. Today, that's become the norm, and it's more shocking if a new brand coming to market doesn't have that as their foundation. But despite growing interest, there's still a lot of debate over what constitutes as clean. Things may be changing as new regulations start to take shape, and we'll unpack this today with Jean Godfrey-June, Executive Beauty Director of the well-being and lifestyle platform Goop. Hi, Jean. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. It's great to have you. So before we start dissecting this mammoth topic of clean beauty, I think our listeners would be really interested to hear just, you know, a quick overview of your background and how that led you to joining Goop. Sure. I've been a beauty editor since I began as the beauty director at Elle magazine in the U.S. uh, in 1994. So it's been a long time. And I worked there. um, And then I worked at Lucky magazine, which was an American magazine that didn't necessarily make it to the U.K., but it was a big I worked there all of its 16 years, and it was really fun experience and published a memoir during that time called Free Gift with Purchase my improbable career in magazines and makeup. So it was sort of about about my experiences in both of those industries, publishing and beauty. And weirdly, my first beauty article ever was for Vogue. <laughs> um, a jillion years ago when a makeup artist was starting a line, which really hadn't been done before, and she was st- starting with 10 lipsticks and her name was Bobby Brown. And I did a story on her. And so that was sort of how I got started in beauty. And then sometime, maybe it was probably about 15 years ago, um, while I was at Lucky, I went to an annual beauty industry convention, which beauty editors always went to. And the head of a very large consumer products company gave a speech and spoke specifically to the beauty journalists in the room, like turned to us and said, I just want to say that beauty products are safe and it's your job as journalists to report that. None of us had ever really thought about the fact that beauty products might not be safe. You know, it was it was a really not the best <laughs> comment for him to have made because it made us all very curious. And I remember I went back to New York and that company was mostly drugstore brands. So I talked to the head of a um, of a luxury brand and I said, well, you don't use toxic ingredients in your products, do you? And he was like, oh, you can't make beauty products. You know, you can't make money making beauty products without using those ingredients. And so that really got me interested. And at the time, the there was no, you know, there wasn't a term clean beauty, but there were companies like Waleda and Burt's Bees that were doing things differently. And in my role at Lucky, I covered all beauty, but I definitely took an interest in these, you know, these companies that were, that were doing things differently and making money. You know, the, like clearly they were they were still functioning as companies. So I sort of doubted that whole, you can't make money without without using these ingredients. And then Lucky was kind of the first, <laughs> the first magazine to, to die in the great magazine die off. So I'd sort of see new brands emerging. Like I remember Tata Harper introducing her brand and that was sort of a luxury version versus a Burt's Bees. And that was exciting. And so... When Lucky ended, Goop knew about my interest. I had there were 
friends I had that had worked at Lucky and knew about my interest in clean beauty. And Gwyneth had the same passion for, for clean beauty. Um, and so it, it really made sense. We were aligned. And so that's how I ended up there. <laughs> yes. No, I remember meeting Tarta herself when she was um, in London, like several years ago, you know, trying to explain what her brand was. And it's so funny when you think about how the idea of clean, or I know we'll talk about the definition shortly. Yeah. Just, you know, brands that kind of try to, um, you know, be a bit more considerate with the um, ingredients or their formulations. That's table stakes now. But when you think about it, just, you know, just a couple of years ago, it was such a novelty for brands to even do that. Well, what's really interesting is um, Gwyneth Paltrow, who is, you know, the founder of Goop, has been one of the biggest advocates for this and uh, like label transparency um you know for, for a long time yeah. so I'm, I'm also really curious to hear um what kind of conversations around clean beauty are you having you know internally at the moment um you know as, as an industry like, where do the biggest challenges still remain they are similar to when we started to some degree um her personal interest uh, grew out of her dad having cancer and dying of cancer. And she started looking at everything from organic and sustainably farmed food to what's in her cleaning products. And then was really surprised when people were like, well, what about your beauty products? And that's how Goop's commitment evolved. And I think that's why it stayed, stayed so strong. It's not a stance. <laughs> you know, she's always like, where's the luxury, you know, in wondering whether the ingredients in your beauty products are safe or not? You know, why wouldn't they all be safe? Uh, mm. And that's been our, you know, that's our hope and our goal for, you know, the beauty industry as a whole. Um, but it hasn't, especially in the U.S., hasn't moved forward as much as we like. The clean beauty industry has obviously grown enormously. When I started in 2015, I remember being like, how am I going to have enough brands and products to write about, you know, that meet our standards? And obviously that is not a, you know, the industry kind of grew with us really exponentially and became, you know, the, one of the fastest growing, um, I think it still is one of the fastest growing categories in the beauty industry. So that has been great. I no longer have to like stretch to find something to write about. But as far as the biggest challenges, you know, it's still the lack of regulation in the beauty, beauty industry at large, especially in the U.S. I mean, the, the U.S. currently bans around 11 uh, ingredients in beauty products and the EU bans over 4,000. And, you know, it, that's, it's just, um, you know, we've been involved in trying to push legislation in the U.S. to, to um, ban some more ingredients. And it's, it's incredibly slow. It works, you know, it's just very frustrating. The other big challenge is that because there's no legal definition anywhere for, um, for clean, it means that Every manufacturer and every retailer can say this thing is clean, can just define it for themselves. And that makes it a confusing environment for the consumer. And I'm, we, you know, as a company would vastly prefer it be really clear and, and have guardrails around it. So we mm. tend to err on the more cautious side. We're always monitoring all the research and adjusting our standards to fit those um, in the most transparent way that we can. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you think kind of like with the examples that you've just mentioned, you know, the the lack of regulations, you know, the slow moving forward, mm -hmm. is that why so many kind of critics or observers kind of think that clean beauty is just a scam, essentially? I feel like that's what a lot of people have been saying. 
Um, I think certainly um, there are naysayers in every industry. And in this industry, there's an enormous amount of money to be made in naysaying. Those naysayers have a huge financial incentive. And so, you know, I absolutely take it with a grain of salt. And I kind of think about, here are these two apples. One has definitely been sprayed with pesticides. The other is raised organic. Obviously, visually, you know, you can't tell the difference, but which would you pick? Mm. (laughs) Um, It's kind of obvious. You'd be like, I want the one that at least has a chance of not being bad for me. You know, to people that are like, it's a scam, of course, it's a choice. And there are many uh, beauty products you can buy that that aren't clean and no one's making anyone buy clean products. I feel like the clean beauty movement at its real core is about transparency. You know, mm. it's not about some moral judgment. It's it's about, you know, why wouldn't these products be safe and why wouldn't a company be comfortable with, with saying what's in them? You know, it's pretty basic. Right. <laughs> and I, I so... Like I have to admit, you know, I'm I'm not a cosmetic chemist. I'm yeah. not I, I'm not good with formulations. But Definitely. something that I've learned about recently um, is the term regrettable substitution, and that is where something that is seen as bad for you might be taken out by a brand, and it might be replaced by something that is less well researched and potentially worse. But but because it, it's seen as good, but because there's not enough research that's gone around it. And I'm just curious, you know, is this something that you've personally come across before? Um, you know, how, how big of a problem is this in the industry? It's a big problem in both the, you know, I think more in the conventional in, industry where there'll, there'll be a thing like parabens, you know, or phthalates or, you know, whatever it is. And they'll be like, no parabens. And there's something else in there that they're using as a preservative that that hasn't been tested or is, you know, essentially the same compound with one thing changed. And that that can happen in clean beauty as well, just because there are, you know, everybody's free to define it for themselves. And so, you know, as a consumer, you either have to uh, get very into the weeds and uh, look at cosmetic chemistry or, you know, go with a retailer or a brand that you feel you know, has strict enough standards and is looking out for the consumer and, you know, isn't just slapping a label on there, which can be really difficult to parse. And that's that's the reason we would love there to be legislation that defines clean. On that note, I understand that Goop sells, um, you know, over 250 brands and you have an extensive vetting process that includes a restricted ingredient list, which is developed by both your internal team as well as external scientists, chemists and toxicologists. Um, I'm curious how you personally feel about retailers that have a clean curation, you know, if you like, rather than setting standards across all their brands and products like, does that make sense? For me, I want a standard, not a curation. I, I want to know that what I'm using on my in my daily life and what I'm, you know, the ingredients that I'm paying someone to essentially produce more of when I buy something, I want to know that those are really the safest that people can find. I, our customers and our readers trust us, you know, and for us, it's important to have a clear standard. For clean beauty products. You see that in action in our own beauty lines and in all the, the beauty products we sell and in our editorial stories. We don't, we don't report on anything that doesn't meet our standards. We feel much more confident with that approach. That's great. And, you know, as you addressed earlier, 
this lack of clear standards and regulations. You see this a bit more in certain parts of the world that has made this, you know, an industry-wide problem. But I feel like we can also say that there has been some push for change. Mm-hmm. Um, in January, there was the launch of Mokra, which is considered to be essentially the US's first big move to regulate the beauty industry in many, many years. Meanwhile, you're seeing kind of like smaller um, changes in the EU, such as the the ban on loose um, plastic glitter. Yeah. And that began last month. And there are a few more that um, I think I believe the um, FTC green guides are due to be released, like the new version as mm-hmm. well. Um, curious if um, any of these changes have had an impact on some of the products you sell or the brands you work with or what kind of impact you're seeing on a wider industry following all these new laws coming into play? Yeah, we haven't really changed, you know, our manufacturing process, our standards or anything as a result of those regulations. It will require new reporting and registrations, as I understand. Um, We'll absolutely comply with that. We haven't changed products we sell as a result of MOCRA. Our in-house scientists and experts are always researching the data, as well as the laws, um, (laughs) um, to inform our process on ingredients, um, especially around, you know, known or potential like endocrine disruptors, hormone disruptors, um, or anything potential to both our health or the environment. Mm. Do you think that for some brands, particularly maybe um, smaller or niche brands, these new laws might make things more time-consuming or um, costly? Because I I guess I have this kind of vision usually of, um, you know, a new brand founder kind of like tinkling away in their kitchen sink or maybe using kind of like certain factories. Yeah. And I wonder if they may struggle to comply or it might have a more, you know, widespread impact on the industry. Yeah. I think no matter how small a brand is, I think it's worth it. I think of something like, um, you know, new... um, you know, the mocha, anything touching the eye, you know, the mascara and that sort of thing. The eye is a direct portal into your body. You know, not regulating those products is a mistake. But, you know, we need we need standards. And certainly, you know, the most like larger companies are the ones that have, you know, at least up till now, traditionally had a much harder time adapting their standards to clean than small ones. I think the level of ingenuity that I see in the clean beauty industry, I mean, it's always incredible to me. It's it's like these people come up with like absolutely beautiful, luxurious things, and they've done it without all the, you know, potentially harmful kind of crutches that, that have traditionally been used in beauty. Yeah. I I find it exciting to see the new innovations and launches coming out because I think also when you think about clean or anything associated with the term sustainability in the past, I think people would think kind of like brown, unattractive. This is kind of, yeah, it's like synonymous with that when that's not the case. Yeah, it started out, it was a lot of brown bottles of face oil, you know. Right. (laughs) And it's it's so far from that now. It's incredible. I mean, what individual founders have come up with, you know, is just magic I think. Are there any you're particularly excited by at the moment or that you're loving? Let's see. Um, Let's see. Ones that I really think you know sort of changed the game. Um, I think Westman Atelier when she started making makeup it was a little you know it it just 
all of a sudden, like, it was like good mascara, you know, um, which is was really a hard one to get. And she, you know, has incredible colors and packaging. She took all the the luxury that the conventional beauty industry is always really focused on and, and brought it to clean makeup in a way. I think Crown Affair is just spectacular hair products. I mean, they just every, I love Ranavat and um, Goop, obviously we've, you know, evolved a lot. And like we just introduced a whole line for Target, which I think is amazing that people can have, you know, clean beauty at every level of price. And at the same time, our luxury products on, on goop.com, you know, I just, I don't think there's a better vitamin C out there, clean or, uh, clean or conventional. Similarly, we have some new hair products that I feel like are just the best of the best in any cat, you know, clean or, or conventional. We've always had Gwyneth, you know, is one of those people that usually comes to the office no makeup, her hair's just air dried, you know, and she looks fantastic. And she's always like, it's all about, you know, skincare and and preparing, you know, and then, then you can have fun with makeup. And so I feel like our level of quality is really something. And I'm trying to think of, um, there's a new brand called Tower 28. I don't know if it's gone to to the UK yet, but it's yes, I am a big fan. I was actually in the US recently, and I was stocking up on those products. And they're so good. Oh, that mascara I love. Um, it's amazing. I think she's just done an incredible job. But I think the examples that you've cited, including you know the rollout of Goop more widely, I think that's very interesting because I think accessibility you know plays a really big part, and there's been that debate around, you know, is sustainability accessible for everyone or is it only, you know, accessible to a certain demographic? Yeah. And I mean, part of that is a somewhat, uh, you know, you know, whenever people are talking about beauty, there's, in my opinion, there's a little misogyny (laughs) always mixed in. Um, And, you know, like, as I mentioned earlier, Walita and Burt's Bees have been doing what they do for a really long time and making it accessible and making money. Um, I remember a jillion years ago going to a Burt's Bees uh, factory and touring it. It was really a long time ago. And we talked to some of the workers that were making the sunscreen and they were like, oh yeah, you know, I used to work in a conventional sunscreen factory and we had to wear, you know, masks and um you know, it was really dangerous. And you're, <laughs> that was amazing. And I mean, to this day, like one of my very favorite beauty products, cleaner conventional ever in the whole world is skin food from Waleda. You know, it's a 90, 95 year old product. And it is just still the best moisturizer. You know, it's like you can't, you can't beat it. With Mokra, um, some experts say that while it does move the industry forward, you know, it establishes um, new requirements concerning product safety, it still gives little guidance on the kinds of marketing or promotional claims that brands can now make about the safety of their products. And I was really curious to hear your perspective on that. Um, You know, is it enough? Do we still need more regulations and guidelines? I think more... More regulations in this category, we have so few regulations that it is just stunning. So companies at this point can use the word clean, eco, natural, green, sustainable. You know, all those words have no meaning. You know, I think if it were an industry primarily aimed at men, you know, it would have more regulation. Um, I just 
No, I don't think it should be as hard as it is for the consumer. It, it shouldn't be sort of a, you know, this company says this and this company says that. It should be easier to navigate because it's it's very difficult to navigate. We try to make it easier in our little world, but it's, you know, it's it, it shouldn't be that hard. So as we look ahead, do you anticipate the industry will move away from some of the terms that you've just mentioned or, you know, what what's next really? I hope what's next. I mean, I really, you know, God knows what's next. Um, I think, you know, the fact that something's clean or natural doesn't mean that a product's chemical free. Obviously, all natural ingredients are made of chemicals, just like everything else. Um, safer, more sustainable. Um, synthetic doesn't necessarily mean bad or unsafe. So, I hope there are more regulations that, that as far as what's happening. You know, we I can't can't control the government, obviously. <laughs> you know, as far as moving forward for Goop, we want to evolve with the science as it changes mm-hmm. and be really transparent about that. Keep our standards high so readers and customers, you know, can hopefully trust us and feel confident that we're aiming to bring them the safest but also the most effective, you know, delightful products. I think that trust element you just mentioned is so important as well. Just looking back on 2023, it feels like there's been a lot more pushback from consumers against really everything, any kind of overinflated claim or even price point. Uh-huh. I think there's a lot more questions around celebrities and influencers. So it really feels like you know, having that trust, having that substantiation um, feels like a crucial, um, you know, part as we move into 2024. Yeah. And hopefully it's, you know, certainly since since I've started at Goop, but, you know, the, the larger world, people have been voting with their dollars, which is why the clean beauty industry has expanded to the size that it is. And so hopefully that will continue and we'll put more pressure on Companies that are just like, I've got to keep doing it my old way. I don't care what's in these products, you know. All right. Well, Jean, I love chatting with you. That's all the time we've had for today. So um, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. It was incredible to talk to you. If you're enjoying what you're hearing on this podcast, you might like to become a Vogue business member. It's your ticket to a global perspective on fashion and beauty, delivering exclusive insights that will give you the edge in this competitive dynamic industry. Visit VogueBusiness.com today and use the code PODCAST20 to save 20% on the usual membership rate. This has been Vogue Business's Beauty Radar Podcast, presented by City. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.